Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Keith, and I look forward to sharing with you my thoughts on faith, family, and what it means to be set apart, and at times being unbiblically biblical. What then say you? Hey, good morning, good afternoon. Thanks for listening in on this podcast today or even viewing this podcast on YouTube. I'm just super thankful that you're here. And I pray that this message, this conversation starter um, really impacts you for the better. Um, and with that being said, let's hop right into the word. Today, we're going to be covering 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, all the way through verse 31. Um, and I think this is just important to always have the word kind of readily available. Uh, so let's get into it. So Verse 12, for just as the body is one, but has many parts and all the parts of the body, though many constitute one body. So it is with the Messiah, for it was by one spirit that we were all immersed into one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink for indeed the body is not one part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I'm not a part of the body, that doesn't make it stop being part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not an eye, so I'm not part of the body, that doesn't make it stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If it were all hearing, how could it smell? But as it is, God arranged each of the parts in the body exactly as he wanted them. Now, if they were all just one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are indeed many parts yet just one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, or the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be less important turn out to be all the more necessary. And upon body parts which we consider less dignified, we bestow greater dignity. And the parts that aren't attractive are the ones that we make as attractive as we can, while our attractive parts have no need for such treatment. Indeed, God has put the body together in such a way that he gives greater dignity to the parts that lack it, so that there will be no disagreements within the body, but rather all the parts will be equally concerned for all the others. Thus, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts share its happiness. Now, you together constitute the body of the Messiah, and individually you are parts of it. And God is placed in the messianic community first, emissaries, second, prophets, third, teachers, then those who work miracle, then miracles, then those who with gifts of healing, those with the ability to help, those skilled in administration, and those who speak in various tongues. Not all are emissaries, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? Or teachers or miracle workers? Not all have gifts of healing. Not all speak in tongues. Not all interpret, do they? Eagerly seek the better gifts. But now I will show you the best way of all. So, before we hop into that, we've gotten into this point where we've we've become like super accustomed to praising certain members in the body um, and casting others aside. You know, if you're not the pastor and you're just a member in the congregation, it's like there's tears to it. You know, sadly, it's like that social construct going all the way back to like elementary school, middle school, high school, and even college, where you have your cliques, you have the in crowd, the popular crowd, but that's not how it's supposed to be within the body of Christ. I would argue, and it's this is Keith's opinion here, that the body of Christ holistically is suffering from leprosy. And what I mean by that is if you if you think about a leper and you think about what happens to the body um, as it's 
under, you know, the, the skin condition, the disease of leprosy, body parts actually fall off. And here we have right in our in our in our body of Christ and not talking solely about the churches or the denominations. We've, we've talked about that before, but we have all of these people, members, brothers and sisters in Christ, right, confessing believers that have fallen out of the body of Christ. They're still a part of the body, but they're just on the wayside. They're just laying there. They're feeling abandoned. You know, we've become judges, if not of, of the members in the body. We're, we're casting them out. And the sad travesty of all that is that's the complete opposite of what we're supposed to be doing in Christ. And the worst tragedy of all is when an individual themselves, because they don't fit into that clique, that they don't fit into that, that social status, if you will, within the church, physical building, or within fellow believers, other people that say they believe in Christ, they cast themselves out. They just say, well, I'm just going to go into isolation. I'm going to, maybe maybe I can fix myself or better, better, maybe I'm better off being by myself, condemning myself and, and casting myself into a wilderness-like season. Um, and, and we assume, and those people that do that, they assume that they just, that's better. It's you know, the old saying, I can do bad by myself, but worse, like I can, I can believe in Christ by myself. I don't need these so-called believers, these so-called Christians, because I don't see faith and community. I don't see inclusion. There's, there's white churches, there's black churches, there's Spanish churches, there's, you know, all these different churches with different people group. And, and how am I supposed to fit into that? And so they would rather just be unchurched. And not just physically from the church building, but unchurched spiritually to where they're just going to go at this alone. But God did not design you or me or this body of Christ to operate in individuality. He didn't op he didn't design us to operate in isolation. Like if God calls you to isolation, that's one thing, right? That's a, that's a whole nother process. But when you just remove yourself because you're like, oh, I just don't fit in. And these other Christians, they just they don't accept the fact that I praise the way I praise or that I pray the way I pray. Or they say that I'm too righteous or they say that I'm holier than thou and, and all of these things. Right. And it's like when you when you examine that mentality, it's it's a form of PTSD is what it is. And church hurt is real. And and when I say church, just going forward here, when I say church, just understand that I'm not just talking about the building because the body of Christ has, commit, has, has committed many more atrocities against its own body parts. It's, it's literally what Paul was just talking about because that was happening, right? Like you, you ever get on an airplane and you're like, hey, and it says, do not open the door on the plane. Somebody did it, right? There's a warning label on everything in the world because someone had to have done that thing. And you might think it's absurd to say, hey, don't consume bleach. Somebody did it. So now they have to put the warning label there. And and Paul in this moment is saying and have, having to describe the body and its functions because it's already happened. So if it happened in the biblical days before iPhones and Twitter and Snapchat and all these different social media outlets and the big mega synagogues is what I'll call them today, before all of that, if it was happening then, how much greater is it happening now? 
And so Paul had to describe what it's supposed to look like. And so I go back to the point of leprosy, right? If you study the textbook um, often, right? If you study, if you study the word of God, the textbook, right? right? If you study the word of God, go back to Leviticus 13 and just do me a solid and read through that, right? There is a description for exactly how the priest is supposed to deal with, with diseases of the flesh, right? The priest is supposed to examine. He's supposed to consider whether something was unclean or clean, you know? And, and I challenge for today's conversation and for the thought process, if the priest is supposed to do that, and if that was the case in Leviticus, right? Everything's a type and shadow. Is Christ not considered the high priest now? And if if he's not, when did he lose his position of authority as the high priest over us all? He's the one that has the power, last I checked, right? He's the one that has the power to heal the leper. He's the one that says, hey, go sin no more. Hey, come out of that place of wilderness that I did not call you into. Hey, I know your brothers and sisters might have caused you to feel some type of way and you're dealing in this consistent state of PTSD, but that's a trap. That's a mental trap that the enemy wants to keep you in because he wants the body of Christ to be disjointed, right? And believers, we do not we do not do ourselves any justice in this regard. And I think it's because there's so many Christians, right? like celebrities that are living a lifestyle that is completely unbiblical will consider themselves to be Christians. You have your Joel Osteens of the world, the T.D. Jakes, Donald Trump. You have all these different like hid figures, right? Where Christianity, there's no, there's no standardization outside of the testament of faith, right? Outside of saying, I believe in Christ, Christians don't particularly act the same. They don't all pursue righteousness. They don't all have a prayer life. They don't all go to church. And so as a as an unbeliever looking into the body of Christ, he sees, he or she may see a piece over here, a piece over there, a foot over here, an ear over here, and it just looks disjointed. Why would anyone want to truly be a part of that body, right? That family dynamic that's supposed to be there if it's that corrupt and disjointed as is. And so with that, I definitely want to slide into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, I may speak in tongues of men, even angels, but if I lack love, I have become merely blaring brass or a cymbal clanging. I may have the gift of prophecy. I may fathom all mysteries and know all things, have all faith enough to move mountains. But if I lack love, I am nothing. I may give away everything that I own. I may even hand over my body to be burned. But if I lack love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind, not jealous, not boastful, not proud, rude or selfish, not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not gloat over the other people's sins, but takes its delight in the truth. Love always bears up, always trusts, always hopes, always endures. Love never ends, but prophecies will pass. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass. For our knowledge is partial and our prophecy partial. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass. When I was a child, 
I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child. Now that I've become a man, I have finished the childish ways. For now, we see obscurely in a mirror, but then it will be face to face. Now I know partly, then I will know fully, just as God has fully known me. But for now, three things last, trust, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. You might have heard that. And I'm not going to put the Bible up just yet, but you might have heard that when you got married, you know, because it it sounds good. Right. And and it's a truth. And you were thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, love, love bears no records of wrongs yet. I can remember every bad thing that has ever been done to me. So I don't know how I'm going to get past that. But in reality, this was the the recipe if you will. And, and again, this is just key, but this was the recipe for the pursuit of righteousness was this only available through the pursuit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. What Paul describes in chapter 13 is only possible by the way of Christ, right? It's only possible by the Holy Spirit. But in this, in this text, I kind of want you to look at it from this angle because we look at our we look at our brothers and sisters right with the things that they're doing in the church you know everybody knows that one person that that tithes a lot of money that gives and is a philanthropist right and you're like oh but that's not me right and so as he's saying it doesn't matter how much you're giving and how much you're doing and what your office is in the in the church physically right it doesn't matter what your office is in the body where you're out the church and you're just dealing with fellow believers without love, it, it's it's irrelevant. You gain nothing from it. And the reason why I say this is a, a recipe for the pursuit of righteousness, right? We are failing at praying. We're failing at praying for our enemies. Like, how often do you sit and pray for your coworkers, for the people that, in your opinion, don't deserve it. How often, you know, when 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 Trump is in office, it was a it was a lot of points of contention, right? But he was a, I think he professed that he believed in Christ. But how often were people upset with Trump, wishing that he would go to hell, even, but not pray for him, right? How often are you are you struggling in in a marriage in a relationship? And instead of praying for that person, you just you're just coping. You're just dealing. You know, these these brothers and sisters out here. And this is just because I know no man's heart. Right. The brothers and sisters out here that are being cast off, the members in your congregation, those that are just not even in the physical building of the church, but just simply that, you know, in your life that profess that they believe in Jesus Christ. We're not praying for them. Instead, we have ministries of exposure. Instead, there's a whole trending thing where, you know, people are just out on YouTube. And this is why Joel Osteen is the devil, or this is why Copeland is the devil. And this is why a prophet such and such is, is a false prophet. And <laughs> not one time are they praying for those people. Even if, you know, from a, from a genuine space of love. 
Because if if that's the one thing that Paul is describing as the main denominating factor, right, of this is what sets us apart. He's already described how the body should look. And he said it's it's irrelevant as to what position or what posture you hold, whether inside the church or outside the church. But you're supposed to still be together. We're supposed to be concerned about every element of the body. You stub that pinky toe on the edge of a wall, you feel it, you you feel it, your synapses go off and you you look, your brain is is activated and, and you have the pain and your hands are reaching for the pinky toe, et cetera, et cetera. Everything comes together. And as a body, right, it's concerned about that member that is in pain. It's concerned about that member that is hurting, right? And we as believers, instead of sitting here spending countless hours and YouTube clicks and 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 trying to find out what's wrong with your fellow brother or sister instead you should be praying instead you should be be loving them right like we're the worst as a non-believer looking in on this body of Christ we're jacked up straight up i mean we're all walking around with the Jesus shirt or the what would you Jesus do? Uh, what what would you do if you were Jesus, right? Bracelets and, and cross chains and there's churches on every corner. Yet there is no love in the body of Christ, not on a mass scale. And so either that's one or two options. Either people are claiming bar Jesus as Christ. Or they're really believers and they've forgotten that love should be above all these things. And so I'd offer you a challenge, right? Like a, if you if you if if that's a whole thing, right? I would offer you to 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 challenge yourself to pray for for people that have told you they believe in Christ, but they not might they might not be living it out. There's a place for reproof, edification, correction, et cetera, et cetera. But if it's not done in love, the message won't be received. Because it's done from a deceitful heart. But prayer, fasting and prayer, prayer for those who are who are living this Christian life out, but yet still stumbling around. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be praying for one another and we need to be praying from a form of love. Think of the most loathsome person out there, right? That's believed to to be a brother, right? Because even Paul references that in scripture. He's like, I'm not concerned about the world's sins, right? Like, I'm not saying, hey, you need to uh, be concerned about the evil in the world. Otherwise, you couldn't even be in the world. Okay, so check that off. That's in Corinthians as well. He's talking about he's talking about the members of the body. He's talking about people that confess to be a brother or sister in Christ. Those are the ones that he he wants us to have our attention focused on. And so are we focusing on our brothers and sisters or are we just examining their deeds, being judges, judging their state of belief, judging their state of faith, judging their walk in comparison to ours? You got to understand sin is sin is sin, right? And so if they're smoking cigarettes but you're watching satanic movies. <laughs> Y'all on the same playing field. Y'all both need work. Y'all both need to grow up. You both need to come out of it from, from being a childlike mind. And you both need work. And this is a grind that the whole body is going through. 
This isn't just something that that, you know, Betsy Ann over here, who's super righteous and has no sin in her life. She's the only one that's righteous enough to pray. No, you are righteous enough to pray. Don't think that you're unworthy to go to the throne room of God, because that was the one thing (laughs) that was the one mystery. Right. When Christ died for our sins and rose again. And the Holy Spirit came and it was poured out amongst all flesh. That's the one thing that you now have access to do that you didn't have access to do before. Forget the gifts. Forget being able to speak in tongues. Forget being able to heal people. Uh, uh, Forget peace and joy. But now you have the ability to sit at the throne of God and intercede. You have the ability to pray. You have the ability to converse with our Heavenly Father. I would argue that that's probably the most important thing, because now when when the Heavenly Father sees us, he sees Christ. That's a big deal because he doesn't see the imperfections and the flaws inside of us anymore. He just sees his son that that was the ultimate sacrifice. And so now we can pray. We can converse. We can have an intimate relationship with God. That goes all the way back to Eden. Oh. Say that for another time. Now we can walk with the Father as it is in heaven, as it is on earth. Just saying. And so that one thing that we have, that one thing that we can do for our fellow brothers and sisters, and not just waiting for Easter Sunday or, or Thanksgiving, the ministry, Operation Turkey, or whatever your church might be calling it, not waiting for these opportunities to do a public display of of Christianity, but in your prayer closet, in your own room, in your inner, in the inner sanctum, in, in the secret place of your house, in the secret place of your heart, you shouldn't just be praying for your family. You shouldn't just be praying for your spouse. You should be praying for your brothers and sisters, not only that you think are doing it right, but the ones that you think are doing it wrong. You should be praying for those even more diligently. Because if Johnny B. Good got it all right, that's great and all. But but the one that you know, the one that's, that's like, he's a Christian, but, or she's a Christian, but, you know, she's living with, with somebody else. Take that to the throne room to God and intercede on her behalf. Like, that's your job, body. Mm. There's so much to think about. When we think about these things, I mean, (laughs) we are our own worst critics as believers. And has got the body of Christ scared to speak on the name of Jesus publicly because we're too afraid to be judged by other Christians. Think about that. We will talk about anything under the sun, sports, (laughs) politics, you name it. We have an opinion and we will fight and down that that sword all day long about any and everything outside of Christ. But we won't talk about Christ to others because you might feel condemned like, well, I know you see me in the in the in the at the smoking a cigarette, so obviously I can't talk to you about Jesus. Obviously we can't pray for each other cuz we're at work and at work we can't talk about Jesus. Are you are you sure? You can't proselytize, but but you can talk. I'm just saying the body of Christ is too afraid to be bold in Christ 
to really live out a, a Christ-filled life, a Holy Spirit life that's on public display, literally carrying their cross because they're afraid not of the unbeliever. They're afraid of the believer. They're afraid of potentially you. They're afraid that they're going to do it wrong in front of you and then they'll be cast out. And so instead they live in the island of Patmos thinking that they're out there with John. In reality, they're just out there where Satan wants them to be in a place of post-traumatic stress disorder from church people and doing church hurt like things. (laughs) We got to break that cycle. We can't. Satan doesn't have to work too hard. (laughs) He doesn't have to work too hard with us, y'all. He doesn't have to put a lot of emphasis on, on how we do things because we're doing just fine. We're too afraid to talk. We're too afraid to live out of fear, not of the enemy. Check that. We're not afraid of the enemy. We're not afraid of Satan. We're afraid of other believers and what they might think. We're afraid that we don't know enough word to talk to the pastor about something that we feel that he may have misled or he might've took that scripture out of context and, or whatever the case may be. We don't even know how to approach that in love because we're just a member. And so we're just going, amen. That was a good word. Cause that's what everybody else said. Hmm. Churches are spiritually dead too afraid to say something because we didn't, we didn't start the church. We're not an elder. We're not a deacon. We're not the head pastor. We're not the administrator. So what we what are we going to do about it? Would, amen. Roger that. Thanks. That was a good word, pastor. We'll see you next Sunday. Satan doesn't have to have to do much when we're when we're killing ourselves. That's just something that's just something to think about. And I just pray I pray that We all come to a place to where every time we have that nudge from the enemy, right? When we have that nudge from the enemy to to judge, when we have that nudge from the enemy to be like, "Mm, look at them over there shacking up. They over there lacking in in the faith. They over there in these streets acting like, but they just claim in Christianity. Every time we have that nudge to to have that word, we need to catalog, catalog that and take it into prayer. Every time we have that nudge to be like, wow, you know, I can't stand dot, dot, dot. We need to pray for that situation. We need to actually be the church. We need to be the light. And if we're too afraid of our own brothers and sisters to even live it out, how can you ever expect change? How can you ever expect growth? This would be an extremely lonely walk. And not because Christ intended it to be, and and I'm not taking that out of context there. In a large macro level, it is a lonely walk. But in the micro, within the body, right? It's supposed to be a body. It's supposed to be a fellowship. When it makes you think when Paul, or maybe it was Peter, was talking about not forsaking the gathering. And and though it was persecution happening all around and they didn't want to, you know, put themselves in a little bubble to be, you know, pointed out as, hey, there's those Christians right over there. We're forsaking the gathering (laughs) without even realizing that we're doing it. Though we're having church attendance, though people are coming up getting baptized, 
We're forsaking the gathering because we don't view each other worthy. We don't view each other with the same Holy Spirit that was poured out amongst all flesh. It doesn't require much work if we are our own worst enemy. Don't take my word for it. Run it against the word of God for yourself, and we will see you guys next week.